Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Delighted to be back with you. I've been looking forward to this program for a long time because I think I'm going to get an education, and I hope that the, the listeners will feel the same way. We have invited the president of the North Carolina Sheriff's Association to be our guest, and that would be Sheriff Charles Blackwood, who is currently the 47th sheriff of Orange County. He was elected, I think, in uh, uh, the year um, uh, 2014, so about 10 years in that job. But he is a 42-year veteran of that office, so he's been around a long time. And, of course, in July of 22, he was elected president of the North Carolina Sheriff's Association. So, Sheriff Blackwood, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Well, we want to talk a little bit about the role of the sheriff uh, in the overall law enforcement uh, arena. Uh, and so if you would just sort of give us a, a, a description of what the sheriff does uh, and the role of the sheriff, in, especially in the state of North Carolina. Well, sheriffs uh, serve as the chief law enforcement officer of the county. There are 100 counties in North Carolina. Therefore, there are 100 sheriffs in North Carolina. And I can assure you, just like any other profession, there are probably 100 different ideas about how to do the job and how to maintain their offices. Um, and that is the important thing about the fabric of North Carolina is that every county is different. Every county um, has different uh, priorities. So the sheriff of that county has been elected by the people who live within that county under the Paleon principles, which were set forth years ago by Robert Peel, and that the people are the police and the police are the people, meaning that um, that sheriff needs to pay attention to the priorities that are important to the community that they serve. We, uh, we respond to calls for service. We run the jails. We um, take, and I say the jails, I'm not talking about the prison unit. I'm talking about the detention centers within the county. Uh, we also manage our courts. We, we have school resource officers and our deputies respond to hundreds of calls a month. And sometimes thousands of calls a month, and they um, travel all across the state because from time to time, an inmate will have to be moved from one county to another and, uh, or taken to a mental facility if they're suffering from some type of mental break. And it's up to the sheriff of each county to see that those people are transported. So some of our detention officers spend three or 4,000 miles a week on the road transporting folks from place to place. Um, but we serve as the peacekeepers within our county. Um, it's a very important role because um, I say I'm intimately familiar with the folks who live in my county. If they have a problem, whether it's somebody's parked in their driveway or dropped a tree on their fence, uh, that's one that we've got to take care of and help them fix. So that's, that's what the sheriffs do. They're problem solvers. They're helpers. Um, and they are the conduit to the people within the community to uh, have a voice within the courts. And unless, uh, and unlike all the other law enforcement, you are elected, uh, which makes it uh, far more interesting because this enables you to 
during your uh, election process, I'm sure you have a, a wonderful opportunity to get feedback from those that you will later serve. That is correct. Uh, we, uh, in our campaign period, when I, you know, tongue in cheek, I run for office every day. People say, are you running for sheriff next year? Or I run every day. Um, I think it's important to stay in touch with uh, the people we serve. I think it's vital that we stay in touch with the people we serve. But um, we get we get a lot of feedback from our communities and uh, we're held accountable as we should be by our communities. So it's important. Well, North Carolina, of course, has perhaps the most famous sheriff in the United States. And uh, we watch him every night on the Andy Griffith show. Uh, sheriff Andy Taylor is perhaps the most widely known sheriff in the country. Absolutely. Are there any parallels between what you see on the Andy Griffith show in your office? There are. There are many. And I think, um, and I'm really glad you brought that up because of all the things we talked about, I might have neglected to mention that in every episode, there is a lesson, a lesson of humility and a lesson of common sense. And I think it's critically important that we remember that when common sense evaporates, things start to go bad. And, you know, Andy Taylor does a real good job of trying to make sure that he pours common sense on every issue he faces. And I think we, we need to pay attention to that. So it, it absolutely does parallel in a lot of ways. Well, uh, I had a, a, a local sheriff at one time back in Gaston County that told me that knowledge plus experience equaled wisdom. Absolutely. That's a good, that's a good saying. Well, now, uh, so you've just sort of given us a, a basic overview of what the sheriff does in each of the 100 counties of North Carolina. Let's talk a little bit about your role as president of the Sheriff's Association and what's its mission. So the Sheriff's Association is um, in our, our office is in Raleigh. We, um, we have an executive committee that I'm part of. I am the president this year, but um, Eddie Caldwell is our executive vice council and um, Lauren, Lauren uh, Earnhardt is his assistant and Marie Evett is one of our um, lawyers that helps us over at the General Assembly. Um, our role in the association is to make sure that sheriffs across the state get the information that they need, get the training that they need, have answers to the questions that come up in a daily, a daily, um, in their daily operations that they may have. Uh, we also offer training to our deputies across the state to make sure that they remain consistent with the laws that are on the books and that they have the best um, information made available to them and that all that is done in a timely fashion. Well, that's, uh, I'm sure, a great role, especially to the smaller counties in North Carolina because uh, North Carolina being a very interesting state, we have some very large counties where we have a million-plus people and we have some very small counties that have as few as uh, 3,000 people. Uh, yeah. So that makes the role of the sheriff uh, vary from situation to situation a great deal. Yes, and I'll tell you, um, you know, the mission of the North Carolina Sheriff's Association is to serve as a statewide voice to protect, promote, preserve, and enhance the office of sheriff in North Carolina. And we do that through education, training, 
and legislative initiatives to increase public safety and protect the rights of the citizens of North Carolina. And, and that's a, that's a um, really nice idea of what we do. Um, when I talk about the, the work that we do across our state, um, Eddie Caldwell is just amazing. And he's an amazing man. And he's critically, I mean, he is, he is so keen on everything that's going on around us as sheriffs, um, the laws that are moving through our legislative uh, process, the bills that are that are being drafted, um, we've got a hand in, in all of that. And um, they lean, the legislators lean on Eddie a lot to help guide and direct them in drafting the legislation. So when it comes out in the form of a law, that it's enforceable and it's fair. Um, I'm very proud of the work that we do within the association to make certain that the sheriffs across the state have the information that they need to help them take care of the people in their community in the most effective manner possible. I notice in your background, uh, you, uh, in a 42-year career, uh, you've risen through the ranks, and I'm sure that has been very important to you now as you are the head man. Um, you were a corporal, a sergeant, and then a lieutenant in the patrol division. So you've been through the ranks. I, 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 I suspect that's been a great blessing to you as you now serve as, as the high sheriff, as, as a deputy fife would call you. It's very important. And I just had a conversation about 15 minutes ago with someone. Um, they said, I'm really proud of the fact that you, you take part in the training that we were talking about. And I said, well, you got to understand if I don't know what's going on, how can I make sure that the people that are doing it are doing it right? You know, having worked in every division within this agency, I know what it takes to run them. I know what it takes to do them right. And I will say that I'm 42, 43 years now. Um, that's one year of experience 43 times. I never claim that I have 43 years of experience. I got one year of experience 43 times because information changes so fast. What was uh, doable back in the early 80s ain't doable no more and uh, you know staying in touch with that and taking that training helps but having taken part in all those uh, divisions certainly puts me uniquely positions me to be able to manage and I think you alluded to this earlier because it, you have an elected position you are in touch with uh, your constituency far more than any other law agency Absolutely. Um, absolutely. That goes without saying. And, you know, I talk about the accountability. Our our community probably holds our elected officials accountable more than any other in the state. We're a very strong community when it comes to speaking our mind. And um, we've got a think tank down in Chapel Hill called the University of North Carolina that produces a lot of folks like to question everything we do. So it makes us, uh, it's kind of like Duke versus Carolina. The best game comes out. So I'm very proud to be the sheriff of Orange County, and I've got friends all across the state that are sheriffs, and I tell them all, you're, you're good sheriffs where you are, but you couldn't be a sheriff of Orange County for five minutes. <laughs> well, I think that one of the most important things of any person in any job is to know the importance of your job, and yet, as you said, to remain open to new ideas, new thoughts, new theories, because it is an ever-changing world. And I'm sure you have seen, what, I, this would be an interesting question. What's the biggest single change you've seen in your 42 years as serving in the Orange County Sheriff's Office? 
technology, information, and data change. Oh, yes. Information and technology is unbelievable. The, uh, the collection of data makes us better. If we don't, if we don't analyze that data, we're moving backwards. So to be able to collect that data in an appropriate way and, and examine it puts us in a far better position to move forward and do things the right way. Um, information change is the other thing. It's very difficult to stay ahead of the game. When uh, hypothetically you go to a crash on the road and you've got a young individual who's been killed in that crash, you got to figure out a way to get that information back to mom before she reads it on Facebook. Yeah, and of course, uh, in technology, not only the computer but also the communication systems have improved a great deal as well during that time. I'm sure. Sheriff Charles Blackwood is our guest. He is the president of the North Carolina Sheriffs Association, and we will be back and start talking about some of the individual challenges uh, and opportunities that uh, the sheriffs are facing in the state of North Carolina. We're going to take a break, and right after that, we'll return, and we'll, as I said, start talking about the various roles of the sheriff and uh, get the opinion of uh, Sheriff Charles Blackwood on what uh, the things that uh, strike him as being most important. We'll do that right after these messages. Well, Jason, I've got to tell you, you're pretty much everything this company is looking for in an entry-level candidate. Great. Your resume isn't quite what we're used to, but you've got a fantastic work ethic. Thank you. And I'm impressed by how you carry yourself. So, should we talk about the job? Uh, what? The job? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I have no way of recruiting or even meeting you. This interview didn't happen. It may sound ridiculous, and that's because it kind of is. There's a huge pool of talent your company is missing out on. Meet the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Man, we really could have used him. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is the president of the North Carolina Sheriff's Association, who also, of course, serves as sheriff of Orange County, and that would be Sheriff Charles Blackwood. You know, you have alluded to this a number of times, and you, you've talked about the staff. How uh, are you finding it difficult to find good personnel these days, people who are willing to put their life uh, on the, on the, you know, it's, that's a tough job being a sheriff's deputy or any law enforcement officer. It is. It is. And, um, you know, this is a, a topic that we at the Sheriff's Association talk about an awful lot. Our society has changed dramatically in the last five years. Um, some of it is blamed on COVID. I think COVID is far less responsible for the societal changes that we've seen 
than folks wish to admit. It's just a really convenient excuse to use. Um, I, I try to talk about the fact that the millennials that, that we point to a lot of times and curse if, if we're in a generation that ain't millennials is no different than the way that the generation before the baby boomers, me, uh, was cussed at when they started growing their hair long and listening to Grateful Dead. Um, it's just a misunderstanding of, of ideals and important topics that, that drive the way we think every day. And I can remember when I first came to work here, um, the folks who had been here for a very long time said, you know, you guys are going to be the ruination of this world. Well, I don't think we've ruined the world. I don't know that we've made it any better, but um, my world ain't so bad. Um, I, I can remember the first time I heard my grandfather say, I don't know how anybody bring a child in this world. And, and I, at the time, I just got the new bike and I thought, well, you know, I, I'm doing pretty good. I just got a new bicycle. And uh, then I heard my daddy say it one day. Then I caught myself saying it when, <laughs> when my daughter was having her first child. And I think that our job as parents is to keep our children sheltered from the horrible, horrible ways of the world until they're old enough to understand it. And um, I think that, you know, the challenges that I face in hiring folks is the same challenge that the advanced auto guy has hired people to come to work there. Um, it's, it's just the way things are. So. The millennials, I think, are they need to be embraced and they need to, we need to understand it's not their fault. This is the way they were raised. And we not we need to find the good things that they're able to do for us and 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 embrace that. And whether that's their their ability to move quickly through analytical data and move quickly through information technology changes and computer stuff. Uh, we gotta we gotta help, help let them help us. Give them tasks that they can that they can succeed in, so that we all feel better about the job we do. This agency has gone through um, some short time as, as far as um, staffing goes, but I try to remind everybody that 30 years ago, the government came out with a program called Cops Fast, 100,000 cops on the street. And they gave grants away to agencies to hire 100,000 cops. Well, what happens in 30 years? Folks tend to retire. So to have 100,000 cops hired 30 years ago means what's happening now? 100,000 cops are leaving the profession. Now you want to compound that with COVID, which did happen. You've got to compound that with the fact that some horrible things happened in law enforcement in our nation. News media capitalized on that and made us look horrible when we really are not. And a lot of people threw their hands up and said, why do I want to go do that? Why do I need to put myself in that position? I don't want to go play golf or I want to go whatever. Um, I remember a time when people used to use McDonald's as a joke saying, you know, who wants to flip burgers or fry fries at McDonald's? Talk to people that work at McDonald's and ask them about their retirement package. They got a pretty good deal. We got a pretty good deal here, too. When you can work 30 years in a job with people who will die for you, protect you, take a bullet for you, be there for you if something happens to you, take care of your family, and you get your paycheck. When you quit work, you still get your paycheck. 
for the rest of your life. And if you die, your wife or significant other can get your paycheck for the rest of their life. So this ain't a bad deal. Um, we get really flashy cars to ride around in and we don't really get to pick out our clothes because that's done for us. So it's not, I mean, it's a great job. It's a great profession. Still ranking above in the top 10 most honorable professions in the world when you, when you ask on a, on a survey. So I say all that to say we've never fallen below what we consider to be a drastic level and we're not at a drastic level now. Um, I'm also going to say something that might tick a lot of people off in leadership roles, and that is people don't quit job. They quit leaders. They quit people that don't treat them right. They quit people who, who don't give them opportunities that they feel like they deserve. So I'd like to think that, you know, the old saying, a, a great leader gets the people they deserve. The reason we don't have a lot of openings here is because we got a, we got a really good show, and we've we got a really good team. And that word, it permeates through our communities. And, and we have people come to work here from other agencies and they find that it's very, um, very en en enriching to work here. So um, we don't have any personnel shortages here. Most of the agencies around us are hurting really bad, including our EMS system right now, which is at critical levels. Um, so I'm very proud of what we're doing here. I'm very proud of the fact that we do embrace the idea of hiring uh, folks from all uh, of our categories that re we represent within our communities. And we're very open in Orange County, as most folks know, to uh, their ideas and beliefs and want to include them in everything that we do here. And uh, because of that, we've, we've got a great team of people who really care about the people that they, that they are entrusted to take care of. Uh, what, uh, what is the training process when you hire a new, uh, uh, I guess, or a rookie, we'd call them, uh, when you bring somebody brand new in, what is the training process? How much training is required? And uh, how do you go about it? So if I hire somebody right off the street that's never had any law enforcement experience at all, the first thing we do with them is we bring them in and um, we give them an orientation throughout our office for the first week or so. They may work the front desk and help answer the phone so they can start to learn the names of the folks that are working within the agency and see the faces as they wander through the building in and out the door. Um, then we had them perform medial tasks around the office, uh, such as maybe carrying files from one place to the other or helping an investigator put something in a logical order for a case investigation. Um, then we take that person and we carry them to be measured for uniforms over in Raleigh. And um, then they go through an orientation process with the county, uh, which is done here uh, via the computer. Uh, sitting in the classroom just going through this orientation process about all the things that are available to them. They make selections about their health care and their retirement and so forth. After that, they go to work in our detention center most of the time. Uh, that's a pathway to patrol or other uh, avenues within the office. We feel it's mission critical to work within the detention center because you learn a lot about being patient with people. You learn a lot about um, being able to de-escalate situations that are sometimes um, very, very difficult to manage. Uh, you learn to deal with the folks that you're going to be dealing with on the street when you inevitably go on to patrol. 
Um, while you're in the detention center, you have to very quickly go through a basic detention officer's training or BDOT. And that consists of several weeks of training. Uh, we do that either uh, at the Durham County Sheriff's Office has a BDOT class, or we might have one in Alamance County. Um, we take advantage of those regional programs that are coming up so we can get our officers trained quickly so that they're back at work and they're actually uh, flying the plane with a pilot's life, if you will. Um, after that, they work for a while, and if there's an opening on patrol, our command staff tries to figure out who might be best to come on to the patrol ranks, who's got a desire to work on patrol. Some people come to work in the detention center and want to stay there. Some people want to come in and be an investigator or a canine handler, and the, the way to do that is to get uh, into the patrol division. Once they get uh, pulled out and put on patrol, they have to go through um, the BLET or basic law enforcement training. And that's a, a significant number of weeks that they go to that class. And we have run our own basic training. We have used Durham County's basic training. And currently we're using the basic training in Alamance County. We have found that they've got a very good program up there that has a high success rate and graduation rates. And um, our officers that go through that training really feel good about it when they come out. After that, you go on the road, you go to work with a field training officer or FTO for a period of time. And there are certain disciplines that you are graded on through the I'll show you, I'll observe you, and then you'll do it kind of a situation. Um, and it really works out well. We found that uh, it's both beneficial to the FTO and to the tr trainee. Uh, because it teaches them how to deal with people of different personalities, different races, different ethnic backgrounds. And uh, they work together as a team to get the job done so that when it's their time to hit the road running, they're ready to go. Interesting. Uh, you mentioned canine. I'm a big dog lover, but uh, you're reading more and more about how important canines are to uh, law enforcement. Uh, do you have a, a, a full staff of canines? We do, and we're very proud of our canines. Um, and we have canines that serve as service dogs, and we also have one right here in the courthouse that's uh, a, um, he just calms people down, or she does, Adele. And uh, Adele is a great pup, and she wanders around through the different divisions within the courthouse, and she's just a pleasure to have come visit. And uh, our canine officers work very hard with their handlers to, um, Handle those calls that um, either we lack the capability of carrying out the duty, and that is hunting for folks with the keen sense of smell that they have, or sending them into a building in a dangerous situation to um, find the bad guy so that we don't have to risk human life. Well, it's interesting, and of course, you see how attached uh, the officers get to their to the the dogs that they're in charge of, and there's a real bond there. We we see those uh, examples on YouTube and uh, and we hear those stories all the time. As I said, I'm a big dog lover, so consequently, I'm interested in that. Um, I, so uh, we don't really have a lot of time to start another uh, topic in this segment, but we in the next segment, I want to start talking a little bit more about uh, um, what the average citizen can do to support law enforcement officers, and, uh, and especially, in your case, uh, the sheriff's office. And also, we want to talk about the drain on your office caused by the 
a mental health problem in North Carolina because this is something I'm sure you're dealing with quite frequently and quite often. And uh, I think everybody in the state knows that we've got uh, some real challenges there. So I'll be interested in hearing your opinions on that. And of course, we will also talk a little bit about the more routine jobs that you do, like serving civil process papers and so forth. And we'll do all of that when we return with our special guest, Sheriff Charles Blackwood, who's the uh, sheriff of Orange County and also the president of the North Carolina Sheriff's Association. We'll take a break and we'll be back right after these messages. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. The forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it, unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. This week, we are focusing on the office of sheriff across the state of North Carolina. Uh, as I said, we, when we began the program, I'm very interested in this because I'm going to learn a lot. The sheriffs in North Carolina, of course, are elected officials, and uh, their role in law enforcement is uh, somewhat different, I guess, because they have a number of jobs that... Uh, the uh, regular police officers don't have, and that would be, for example, serving civil process papers and maintaining the court systems and so forth. But uh, so I, I guess one of the things that would be interesting to talk about is uh, how the various law and source, uh, enforcement agencies, police, SBI, FBI, and so forth, work together because there seems to be a, a great sense, at least I see, uh, there seems to be a great sense of understanding of each other's roles and working together. Yes, sir. It's, it's certainly a partnership. And one of the, the uh, themes that we have seen recur many, many times across our conversations with um, the Sheriff's Association as the, as the president, I travel to regional meetings all across our state. And Eddie Caldwell and I uh, went to a series of meetings that started, there's uh, several different districts across our state, five different places we stopped um, over the course of a week and a half. And during those luncheons and the conversations with our other partnering law enforcement agencies, the, the common theme that kept being pushed forward was the partnership and the fact that we can't do this by ourselves and how critical the working relationship has become 
and the importance of the partnership and how strong we have come working together. And a lot of this came about as a result of some problematic calls across our state, which caused us to have to work together when we may not have otherwise planned to. So uh, I think the partnerships are very important. Um, everybody understands where their place is. No one wants to step on anyone's toes at any time. Um, and, and everybody works so good together and utilizing the resources that are available. Um, we do have a list of every agency within the state and what the resources they have to offer. So when some catastrophic event does occur in whatever county, immediately the Sheriff's Helping Sheriff's Network goes into action and we have people at the phones who can reach out to those agencies that have the resources that are needed the most and we can see those um, force multipliers come into those counties and help them, whether it be a hurricane, natural disaster, or civil unrest. Um, very proud of the way that our our agencies, state agencies, county and local work together. We've probably got a stronger team now than we've had in, in years past. We brought up the question of mental health because now law enforcement agencies are dealing with that as, as well as mental health experts. Uh, it is a serious problem in North Carolina. How much of your time is spent uh, in that area? Well, that's an interesting question. We've spent a lot of time over the last several months critically looking at the data of the calls that we take on a, on a daily basis. I get up every morning and I check which, you know, our, our, our app on our phone we have that allows us to see the calls that the deputies have taken in the 12 hours prior. And out of, you know, on SmartForce, which is the app, there might be 24 calls, and of those 24 calls, I guarantee 20 of them are mental health calls. And it's it's um, it's sad to say, but the police have been asked, and our emergency departments in our hospitals have been asked to solve all the societal ills, and it just cannot work. It's not sustainable. It's not a problem that we can fix. Uh, mental health issues do not need to be addressed by arresting people. That is the most horrible and, and um, in my opinion, uh, barbaric way to treat someone who is suffering from a uh, an illness is to try to apprehend and arrest and jail that problem. I can only imagine what it, I know what it feels like to walk into jail when I go in there and it, it can close in on you. And I can only imagine what it might feel like to somebody who is suffering from a, uh, a mental break. And um, I think about that a lot. And I wish there was an answer. Our state hospital closed down. And all of that, everything that went there is now going to the sheriffs and the emergency rooms across our state. Compound that with the, the perfect storm of, of the COVID outbreak. and you know, everybody's lives were was stopped and isolated. Schools stopped doing what they do for kids. Work, people were sit home. Um, people were in a lot of places without jobs. And mental illness crept at an all-time high. And um, we got the call at 911 to come and take care of it. 
And we have, as law enforcement officers, done as good a job as we could do, but we have failed miserably at dealing with the mental health issues within our state. And there has got to be an answer because what we're doing ain't working and it's getting worse and it's putting people in positions they don't need to be put in and it's putting law enforcement in positions where they have to make decisions they'd rather not have to make. Um, it's a problem that we have got to address. And our legislators in Raleigh, I hope they listen to this show and they hear me when I say we've got to figure out a way to funnel some of these federal dollars back into our state to help address these issues. Um, it's, it's being put on the backs of our local counties and our counties simply cannot, cannot address it. How big a, a, a problem uh, in mental health is the sale of illegal drugs? And are we uh, winning that war or are we losing? I don't know how to measure that or how to answer that other than to say that um, fentanyl is terrible. It's horrible. It's killing our youth. It's killing, it's killing people all around us, not just our youth. Um, and fentanyl is showing up everywhere. And, you know, you've got that on top of mental health issues. And then you have folks who have gone to their doctors and tapped out their insurance and trying to take care of whatever issues they have. They run out of money. And then you find them in an alleyway buying a $5 bundle of heroin and they die from, from taking it. Um, as jail administrators, we're trying to figure out ways to mitigate the opportunities of folks coming into our jails and getting a little bit clean so that when they go back out and do that five bindle five dollar bindle of heroin it kills them because their their tolerance level has been dropped and we're using what's called mats or medical assisted treatment to give them an alternative to that heroin while they're in jail and people are saying that we're we're stupid for doing that we're substituting one drug for another well i'll argue to you all day long i have high blood pressure and i take medicine every day and if somebody's got a mental illness or somebody's got an illness, they, they're, they're subjecting themselves to chemical, if they're chemically dependent on drugs and, and they're placed in jail for a crime maybe they didn't commit or a mental illness because they were acting funny on the street and their tolerance level drops and they go back out and they take the drug they've been taking and they die. I had a hand in that death and I don't think that's right. So I will continue to do medical assisted treatment and I will try to expand it as much as I can to make sure that when folks do leave my jail, uh, they've at least got a chance to get back on the straight and narrow. And if they don't, that's not my fault. But if they die when they walk out the door, uh, I, I, I'm, it's hard for me to sleep when that happens. I'm going to change the subject a bit now because in many cases in uh, many, many of our counties, uh, the rule homeowner is totally dependent on the sheriff's office because there are no local police for them in most cases. So what advice would you give to rural homeowners about their safety and how, uh, and what services can you provide for them to make them feel safer and more secure? Well, I'm going to say something that might tick off a lot of police chiefs, but the folks in, in most rural counties in this state feel safer than they do in the city. And, and I know that's the case in my county, and I'm not picking on the city police. I'm just saying that we've got coverage within our county that's, that's dramatic. And, and, and we're covering our county probably as good, if not better, than the cities are covering the people that live in their city. And I'll put our guys up against anybody in the county. Um, 
They, they work hard to make sure that they're in those communities. They serve those communities. They live in those communities. Uh, it means something when you live in the community you serve. Most of the law enforcement agencies around here have police officers that don't even live in this county, much less in the city they serve. And I'm proud of that. I think it's important. I think you have a different way of approaching uh, John Q. Citizen when you live next to him, when you go to church with him, when you see him in the grocery store. That's that other level of accountability I talk about. I think our rural communities are served rather well across our state. I visited a bunch of sheriff's offices across our state and our communities, our rural communities are proud of their sheriff's offices. They're proud of the services that they get from them. And um, I don't think we're missing a beat at one point. Let's turn the, uh, let's look at the opposite side of that. What, uh, what can you, uh, ask the uh, average citizen to do to support and help you in your jobs and your duties and your responsibilities? Well, I think that, this, again, I go back to the Paleon principle, you know, the people of the police and the police of the people. Um, we had an incident the other day where an individual had escaped from Orange Correctional Center, which is the state department of corrections. And it was a citizen who called us at three in the morning to tell us they had seen the individual. Um, so our citizenry are the eyes and ears of, of safety within this agency, and, and we depend on them heavily to give us information about things that are going on in the community that make them scratch their head. And we tell them, you know, if it's, if it's curious to you, it's curious to us. Let us come and check it out. We don't want you to do that, but um, they're really good about letting us know we've got a sheriff app. We've got a, uh, uh, the ability for them to send an email to me personally. Um, we've got a website, we've got Facebook pages, uh, information is constantly being shared. Um, our, our citizens support us really, really well. And we see it all the time. I'll go to the laundromat sometimes to pick up my clothing and they'll, they'll tell me somebody walked in and saw the patch and asked to pay for the clothes cleaning. And, uh, it's, you know, it happens all the time when you're in a restaurant and the waiter comes to give you the ticket. They say, somebody paid for your ticket. They just, didn't we want you, they just want to say thank you. Um, so I think our citizens support us. I, I know they support us. And I'll tell you, this goes back to what I said earlier about our media pushing the narrative that police are bad. I think that the media's job is to sell whatever they're selling. And I don't want to pick a battle with somebody that buys ink by a gallon, but I'm just going to tell you, um, our media has, has beat us up over the past couple of years for no good reason. And the communities that support us will tell you real quick that, you know, they love their, their sheriff's office. They love their police departments. They love their troopers and, and they respect us and work together with us. And they support us better than, than folks might believe if they watch the news every night. And I'm proud of that. Well, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's a great lesson to, to know that, uh, you're pushing, uh, humility, uh, on the part of your, uh, deputies and, and associates, because it is important for them to understand that, uh, uh, they can be intimidating to, uh, to especially young people. Um, and so, uh, I, I applaud you for your approach and saying, Hey, wait a minute, we've got to, we've got to keep our humility. Well, we've got to tell our story, and that's another part of it. The association realized that, you know, 
we were getting a bad rap through the news media. So we've taken to the airways and we're telling our story. And we're telling the story of law enforcement across North Carolina and what a great professional organization it is. Well, it's a tough job. And and uh, I think uh, I've, I've seen a number of people, as you say, pick up tabs at restaurants. And I think they are, are just trying in some small way to say, look, we appreciate what you're doing. We thank you for your service. We thank you for taking your life in the uh, and, and risk every time you go out. And so it is important. Our guest is Sheriff Charles Blackwood. He's the president of the North Carolina Sheriff's Association. And we'll be back with more here on Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Back on Carolina Newsmakers, uh, our guest this week is Sheriff Charles Blackwood who is not only sheriff of Orange County, the 47th sheriff, uh, a job that he's had since, uh, uh, I think, uh, 2012. Uh, But he also serves as the president of the North Carolina Sheriff's Association, statewide agency uh, that represents and supports the 100 sheriffs in the various 100 counties of the state of North Carolina to help them strengthen the professional law enforcement services that their offices provide. And uh, we've talked about the fact that there are many functions of the sheriff's department, maintaining the jails, uh, processing uh, civil papers, and of course, uh, also being the uh, providing the security for the North Carolina courtrooms. Uh, Sheriff, as you look ahead, and with your 42 years of experience as a veteran of the sheriff's office, what are some of the things that you would like to see change? or uh, continue to work on as far as improvements uh, as, as the sheriffs of the state of North Carolina go about doing their, their jobs? Well, one thing I want to do is call you out on one little mistake you made, and that is by saying sheriff's department. And I'm going to do that in a very kind and respectful way. A lot of folks say sheriff's department, and they don't realize that we're an office. Uh, we are an elected office, just like the governor's office. You wouldn't say the governor's department. The departments within the county government, the tax department, revenue department, the 
whatever, they are departments of county government. The sheriff's office and the clerk's office are offices of the sheriff and of the clerk. I am not a county employee, nor are my deputies. They are employees of me, and I am an employee of the people. And we've got a little standing joke around here. We've got a cookie jar. And if you mess up and say department, you have to put a dollar in that cookie jar. In the year, we give that to some charity. So I'm going to drop your dollar in a jar for you because you're my friend. Okay. But it is an office. And, okay. And, well, I appreciate you paying my fine for me. Yes, sir. We have to remind folks of that a lot. You hear our newscasters talk about sheriff's departments all the time. And whenever they do that, Eddie calls Wells real quick to send them a little email and say, we're an office, not a department. <laughs> As for what we need to do to make things better in law enforcement, we are working feverishly right now on um, the big hot topic within our detention centers especially, and that is hiring and retention. It's important to hire good folks, quality folks, folks that want to do the job. Our job market right now is full of folks who really don't know what they want to do, and they're quick to take a job and they're slow to get committed to it. And unfortunately, we see that in all aspects of our employment across our state. Again, whether it be the auto zone or, or hospital or wherever, even in teaching. So um, we really try to run a really close, hard background on folks to make certain that they're folks who want to come to work, want to be part of this profession, which is a most honorable profession and are committed to doing the job and you know that's hiring retention falls back on me as the sheriff you know the 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 um the the the, the theory of being enriched by the job that you do a lot of that lies on the employee but a whole lot of it lies on me as the leader i've got to offer a environment that is productive. I've got an offer an environment that is fair. I've got an offer an environment that they feel good about being part of a team that they feel fulfilled when they go home. Um, the worst thing that can happen was for somebody to come to work for eight hours or 12 hours and go home and carry all that hatred back to their family and unload on them. I want them to feel good about what they do here so that when they go home, they can feel good about talking with their family about that mission. Um, so hiring and retention is something we're paying close attention to. I will say that, you know, I'm on a committee right now formed by Josh Stein to explore our attorney general to explore our um, hiring and retention practices and ways we can get better, things we can do to encourage people to come into this profession. And I'm not talking about giving them bonuses to sign. I'm 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 against that. I don't think it's fair to the profession to pay people to sign on to come to work just to get that bonus and then walk out the door and quit. I want people to come to work here and I want to be able to pay them for going to college to get a degree. I want to give them a bonus for doing that. I, I want them to, to, to get benefits from what they put into the job, not benefits for walking in the door and asking for the job. I want to hire right, not right now. Um, I don't want to run to hire a warm body just to fill a spot. I think that's the wrong thing to do for the profession. It's the wrong thing to do that for communities we serve. And we've seen across our nation what can happen when that takes place. So hiring and retention. Also, our 
uh, Secretary of the Department of Public Safety, Eddie Buffalo Jr., has got a committee together as well to talk about hiring and retention. And that is, it is a uh, something that I want to see not turn into the like the affordable housing uh, buzzword that politicians use every time they want to run for office and they can't define. Um, I want it to turn into something that's real. And I want to see our law enforcement professionals across the state pay attention to the hiring and retention of their staff. The other thing I want to do is look after the mental health and well-being of our officers. We talk about the mental health crisis that's happening in the streets. It's also happening in our house. And when I talk about our house, I'm talking about my office. Um, these folks are subjected to critical incident exposure every day. We see the worst that society can uh, put on each other. And, and it's just, it can take a toll on your mental health. And uh, I, I sell people, when I hire them, I hire you for life. And that means if, if you have a, a mental health issue that can be dealt with, that we need to deal with it and not take your badge and gun from you. Let's get you the mental health you need and make sure that you can pass the fit for duty challenge and come back to work. Um, I think it's critically important we be more forgiving of our folks who, who deal with these critical incident exposure every day and try to take care of them in a way that maybe we haven't in the past. I'm part of a program that's another statewide program, uh, RAI, which is the Rescue Assistance uh, Initiative where we try to take care of our, our, our workers, our emergency services personnel, whether they be fire, EMS, or police. You know, everybody has those challenges where they just don't know which way to turn. And, you know, they hear that pounding in their head and they need somebody to talk to. And, and if, by gosh, we can't help them, who can? Um, I think we need to do a much better job of telling the public what it is that we do. We, we use Facebook and social media, but you know, everybody doesn't, doesn't subscribe to that. I think that we've got to get back to the idea of getting out in our communities and, and having programs within our communities to work with our communities to let them know who we are, what we stand for. I don't like the word transparent. I like the word open. I think we need to be open with the public we serve and answer their questions when they ask them. If we have a catastrophic in our event, event in our community, I think we ought to be the first to come out and talk about it. Um, if we mess up, we need to tell them we messed up. If we did something we had to do, we need to explain to them why we had to do it and what we did and why. If we've got a difference of opinion, we need to sit down at the table and work that out. If we get to the point where you just tell people no comment, they're going to lose trust in us. And that's the worst that could happen to an honorable profession. And I just, I'm so blessed in this county that we have the ability to stay in touch with the people that we serve so well. And um, I'm, I'm proud of the way that's done. And I've seen it replicated across our state by other sheriffs. And our sheriffs across the state have taken the lead in trying to get that message out about what we do, how we do it, why we do it, when we do it. Let's, uh, let's ask you also about uh, maybe misconceptions of the office of sheriff. For example, I had uh, early in the program, I said sheriff's department, and you pointed out, uh, of course, it's a sheriff's office. It's not a department. So what are any other misconceptions that people might have of your office or, or, or your responsibilities? 
Well, I think it's, it's you know, you, you watch TV and you think that's what happens in real life. There are people that call me and figure that I'm just sitting in here waiting for something to do. And they don't have a clue what my schedule looks like. I've had six meetings today and was late getting to this one because of one right prior to it. Um, my day is slammed. Um, it's hard for me to carve time out for folks, but I do it because that's what I'm supposed to do. Um, the idea that a sheriff is just sitting in their office waiting for something to happen couldn't be further from the truth. Our officers, when they come to work every day, they they respond to, uh, there's no telling how many calls for service they get. I come to work in the morning and I hear them taking calls and they're taking calls all day long and I hear them all evening when I listen to the radio. We stay very busy. I think people don't understand that we have the ability to work in the city. I mean, the cities and the county. There's nothing to stop me from going down there and going to work. The only reason we don't do it is there's no sense in duplicating services. The Chapel Hill Police is there. That's their job. That's their duty. If they need us, they'll call us. But um, our officers are all over the county all day long. They they stop cars. They issue citations. They help investigate accidents. They rescue folks. I've got uh, AEDs in every car. Um, the automatic electronic defibrillators. So we go to rescue calls. We've got Narcan. If someone overdoses, we can we can help recover there. Um, there's so much work that we do that folks don't have a clue about. Um, and that's okay. That's okay. It's a good thing if they don't know what we're doing, because that means it hasn't yet affected them. So I'm not beating the people up in the county for not knowing what we're all about. I'm proud of the fact that they don't know all the stuff we do. That means that we're doing a good job of keeping it away from them. But uh, you know, I just I think it's important that folks understand that we're busy. We are a professional law enforcement agency. We do take great pride in the professionalism and the standards that we adhere to. While we're uh, talking, and we got uh, about a minute, let's talk in terms of how people can find out more about the Office of Sheriff. Uh, uh, in other words, uh, how can they get information from the North Carolina Sheriff's Association? Uh, do you have... Uh, their email address and or a website. So the North Carolina Sheriff's Association, you can go just type that into Google and it'll come right up. The Orange County Sheriff's Office the same way. However, there's five Orange Counties in the state in the United States. Just North Carolina, Orange County Sheriff's Office. Um, I got a QR code I can put up or I can get to you. That'll take you to our page as well. But there's many ways to get in touch with us. Just go out there and look a little bit or pick up the phone and call me. 919-612-0003. Again, 919-612-0003. That's my cell phone and I'll answer. Well, Sheriff, this has been very enlightening and I certainly appreciate you taking time to share with us not only your views and opinions. You've been very candid and I think that's great. And uh, we appreciate it again the service that not only your office in Orange County, but all the sheriffs across the state of North Carolina provide in taking care and protecting our citizens. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he promises us we'll have another interesting guest next week. In the meantime, if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com, carolinanewsmakers.com, and hear the entire broadcast. Till next week, same time, same station. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. 
Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.